to She Said, She Said. I'm your host, Laura Cox Kaplan. My friend, Donna Orinder, is a trailblazer. After falling in love with sports as a young girl and playing no less than seven separate sports growing up, she ultimately doubled down on basketball and made history. She's the former president of the WNBA, spent 17 years with the PGA Tour, and she is the founder and CEO of Generation W, Generation WOW, and the CEO of Orinder Unlimited. Now, more recently, Donna has taken a lot of wisdom and a lot of input from a few friends and created and written a wonderful new book called Wowsdom, A Girl's Guide to the Positive and the Possible. It is fantastic. Donna, welcome to She Said, She Said. Laura, I just have to tell you, I love the name of this podcast. It's so perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to have you here. I am thrilled. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so Donna is here in the Washington, D.C. area as part of her book tour to promote Wowsdom, which I'm very excited to talk about. But let's jump right in and talk a bit about you and how you got here. It's fair to say sports has played a very important role in your life. When did you first start playing sports? First of all, sports wasn't really popular for girls. And it, wasn't, it was more than not popular. It wasn't deemed as a okay activity, right? We were kind of outcasts. I remember being a young girl. I grew up in New York, and I loved playing on the streets with the boys. And so uh, at that point, there was a game called stickball. I don't know if anyone remembers stickball, but you usually took, like, the end of a broom, that was your stick, and you played kind of a baseball kind of game. And I remember being in sixth grade and my dad saying, okay, you're done now. Like, no more. Like, this is, like, going too far. He was really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so when I come home, you better not be out on the street. And I got to tell you, I got so good at hearing the motor of my dad's car because I would be out on the street and I'd hear something coming around the corner and then I'd be sitting on the curb when he came in. Dad, just watching the boys play. But that didn't last long. Right. So how did you end up in organized sports? When did that happen? Um, it's funny. I went, to, I went to sleepaway camp. Not a sports camp at all. We didn't really have those. But I remembered all the boys had these leagues. And they were all organized. And they had these greatest T-shirts. And they were all beautiful colors. I, I especially loved the turquoise one. And you couldn't get a league shirt unless you played in the league. And so two of the counselors, who I am friends to with this day, used to take me down to the lower courts, and they taught me how to play basketball. And um, actually, I loved it. And I am still ever grateful. I mean, we all look at each other and say, who, who could have ever expected that this little Jewish girl would end up playing basketball at the highest levels in this country? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, but it didn't start with basketball, as I understand it, right? No, that's correct. I played Tennis was my first sport because that was really socially acceptable. I was really good at tennis. I received offers to play at the National Academy. I, I actually broke barriers by playing on the boys' tennis team, which was the first girl in the state of New York to play on any boys' team. And I always tell a whole story about that because it was really defining in terms of how I looked at the world. Like, well, who would ever give me the confidence, the gumption, to go up to my Marine, former Marine tennis coach and say, hey, coach, I want to play on your team. Yeah. Um, God bless him when he said, kind of, okay, you can try out. That's all you ever want is opportunity. And so that was the beginning. But I found tennis to be a little lonely. I like I like the team sports. You were out there yeah. by yourself. There was no one to talk to. Team sports ultimately won me over. So ultimately, you played in no less than seven 
I think I did. I did. I played. It's really actually pretty amazing because you can't do any of this today, and I think it's such a loss. I started out in the season. You start out with field hockey. Mm -hmm. You go to volleyball. You go, I ran track. I actually vaulted in gymnastics. Don't ask me how I ever got the confidence to put on a, uh, a leotard. Never happening again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> I played uh, softball. I played tennis, and I played basketball. Clearly, sports has been important to you, and it's, you have strong views about the important role that it plays for women and girls. Talk about that. I, well, listen, I feel that sports is a incredible place where young people, and especially women and girls, because we see what it does for men, learn how to compete. You learn how to win. You learn how to be with teammates if you're playing a team sport. You learn about focus. You learn about how far you can go, which is always much farther than you think. And I have to say that's probably the long-lasting message that I learned. Remember being in a gym hours and hours a day, thinking, I can't do this. And then realizing, not only can I do it, I can do so much more. And so even today, if I'm faced with the business problem, I draw on that, that muscle. I don't know where that lives in your body, but it does. It says, wait a second, I can do so much more. And so I think sports is an incredibly important, and it doesn't mean you have to be an elite athlete. And I always say that, oh, I'm not so good at that. It doesn't matter. Exposure, being part of something bigger than yourself, which is also another thing about sports, right? It's that individual I can be bigger, stronger, better, smarter, yes, but I'm part of something bigger than myself as well when you can compete, and oh gosh, love that. So you played professional basketball I for did. a period of time. Yeah. How did that, how did that come about? I ended up going to Queens College in New York City, which was one of the best teams in the nation. And I remember sitting as a high school student, I went by myself, I was probably 15, and watching them play in the national championship game the gym was packed, they played Immaculata, all the nuns were there with their buckets and their spoons, and I'm like, this is, I wanna buckets do this. Buckets and spoons? Yeah, they used to come with these big buckets and they hit them with the spoons. <laughs> it, was, it, was, like, it was such a scene, and I'm like, this, I wanna do this. I wanna play here. And so I enrolled when I was 16. Um, I applied for some, there's only one or two scholarships in the nation. I had gotten one of them. When I got an academic, I said, no, I, I really wanna play here. And so Coach Cavallis, who I'm still in touch with today, who was one of the greatest influences in my life and taught me about how to really excel, all of us at a time when you didn't really have that, um, we were one of the top 10 teams in the nation. And our, really, the history making was at college when we were the first women's team to ever play at Madison Square Garden. Wow. And um, that was groundbreaking. And we got a lot of press and we got a lot of interest. and. You know, listen, my teammates, when we would get on a bus, I mean, some of them, we didn't have lunch, right? They didn't, I, you know, everyone would unroll a roll. When I think about what's happened today in terms of Title IX and all of the scholarship money and all of the resources that are now available for girls, and yet we still don't feel that it's quote-unquote equal, I think about then, talk about purity and passion to play. I still think that's really, really prominent for women. I think we play, and I think most athletes do, but we play because we love it. So you went from there to... So the, the first women's league was the uh, WBL, the Women's Professional Basketball League. And um, I was graduating and from, from Queens College, a degree in psychology, a minor in communications. And I was working actually in um, television. I don't know if I got my first job yet. And Oh, no, I was in graduate school. I was going to social work school. I wanted to change the world. 
and it's and you have <laughs> and interesting sports really does that for you yeah. and I was in graduate school I, went, I got into social work school as a really young student I got a call it says we're starting this league would you like to play and that was the beginning so I first played in uh, New York for the New York Stars Dean Memminger rest his soul was my coach played for the New York Knicks and then I got traded to uh, the New Jersey Gems, where my path cro- crossed with the very famous, still, uh, Annie Myers out of UCLA. We're still great friends. I love Annie. And my coach, Howie Landa, again, still. Co- and then I got traded my last time to Chicago. And um, I remember writing an article for the New York Times at 23 years old saying, I'm retired. I, I, seriously, I still have the article. And the sad thing about the article, or the good thing about the article, is everything I wrote about when I was 23, uh, when I took over as the WNBA, um, 30 years later, not quite, um, the themes were still very resonant. Sad. Yeah, <laughs> but we're improving sad. a lot. We're improving a lot, but yes. So tell me about the WNBA experience. You were the CEO of the WNBA. I was, and I had come from men's professional golf where there was always so much money, and uh, we were growing. We, when I started, we felt like we were a little bit of an outlier sport, but when I left, I thought we were like mainstream. Tiger had emerged. It was exciting. I always talk about the fact that I needed $2 million to make my budget at the WNBA. $2 million is a tip in the PGA Tour. <laughs> right. And I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there. I, I felt like that I was, I used to be, you know, I could call up, whatever. I felt like I was not, I was dialing for dollars. No, I was more like begging. And this was in what year, Donna? So that was in 2005 when I first got there. It was really a culture shock, huge culture shock. Um, and it's really where I learned about how the world felt about women. I was on the, felt like I was on the cutting edge of culture and commerce. You know what I mean? How, how did people really feel? What did men really think? Where were business? How did women really think? How did we feel about ourselves? All those things. It was the hardest job I've ever had. Um, but I, you know, I'm used to being in training, but it was the best job I've ever had. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was hard, but I loved it. And we did everything people said we couldn't do. Again, Going back to that thing that when people says, you can't do that, you know, it's like, what? what are you talking about? Of course I can. Of course I can. Of course we can. And so we did. Was that the best part? Was that, the, was that why it was, that was the best part? I think what happens early on, it's like, you know, you go there, you're thinking you're a sports marketer. And I went there realizing I was an anthropologist, which I always loved anthropology, that I was really studying how people's behavior and thoughts. And you would say good marketers do that anyway. And so... I think it was about building a belief system where there was a lot of belief tendrils everywhere and then bringing them together and creating some kind of central force that you can achieve um, scale and impact. And so um, we really did turn it around every single day. I mean, the first thing was every single day people said, is this going to last? Interestingly enough, I was at an interview recently for a very significant, well-known board, not to be named here. And one guy says to me, can I just ask you something off to the side? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, is the WNBA going to make it? Interestingly enough. Wow. So there's always these underlying questions, but then it was every day. And if everyone thinks you're not going to be in business, I don't care what your business is, they're not going to invest in you. And it took about two and a half years plus before people stopped asking that question and started investing. And I thought, wow, this is great. But I had moved from a job to a mission. Mm-hmm. It was mission focused. It was like I'd close my door and said, I don't care what anyone's saying. And my husband would say, he goes, you cannot leave this. You cannot. He says, I see these young girls. I see these young boys. You cannot leave this and disappoint them. And that's when I really knew that failure was never, not, not an option at all. Not an option. That we had to succeed. So why did you ultimately leave? 
Because at that time, then it was time, right? So it was six years. We did everything they said we couldn't do. You know, we had actually the highest growth percentage in sponsorship sales of any sport. Remember, I also got there in the height of the recession. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> Let's just add one more thing. Right. Let's just add one more. You know, where everybody's like, oh, my God, scrapping and scrounging. But I always felt like we were a sport where Main Street met, met, met America. We had, you know, everything was affordable. Everything was about the family. Everything was phenomenal entertainment. It's funny, last night I got in and on the way, um, you know, I don't know if you realize it, but the Mystics are in the championship, which is huge. And I'm yeah. thrilled for Sheila and the Washington Mystics franchise uh-huh. and Ted Leonsis, who just had another fan. I, I mean, it's just, I'm so excited for them. And Sue Bird from the Seattle Storm wrote this whole thing in the Players' Tribune. And she said, you know, don't tell me now that the WNBA is good. WNBA has always been good, and she's right. But if you discover it, now it's good for you? Okay, I'll take that. So we had sponsorship sales, digital sales. The quality of play was great. We had achieved a cultural kind of recognition that everything was, these girls were great. These women could play. And I had two sons, and so I think it was time to go home. And so I commuted for six years. You know, people who worry about or they're interested in how you balance career and life we took that on as a family. So you were commuting from Jacksonville to New York? Right. Holy cow. So I had a place in New York. My kids spent two years in New, in New York, my southern kids. And then it was time for them to go home. And so um, my husband commuted for those years, and then I went back to commuting. So it was time. It was just, it was really the time. So you left. I did. And thought, what am I going to do with my time? What did you do next? Uh, the first thing I did was I started a company girlfriend of mine says, even if you don't know what you do, just start a company. You'll figure it out, I'm sure. And the phone started ringing. I mean, really, I had some great, great projects. But I knew this passion around women and girls was not something that was just going to end because I left. And there was a brand that I was really interested in when I was there. It was called Generation W. I'd, I'd created this inspiring women's platform at the WNBA, which is one of the most successful platforms to this day. But I loved this idea of Generation W. I'd met so many people. I had access everywhere. You know, my core is I'm a television producer, director, writer. So, I, you know what I mean? I'd started production companies, more than one. And so I thought, hmm, I'm going to go home and I'm going to create a thought leadership event. I had just come from Maria Shriver's event. Maria's always been great. And I said, I'm going to bring this to my city and then I'm going to expand it. And so I went around and I, it was just me. Mm-hmm. And said, hey, what about this idea? And people like... I don't know if they thought my, it was crazy. Oh, that sounds good. And people started investing in it. And so our first year, we had over 700 people show up. Wow. I did it in a theater. I had really strong feelings about what the environment should be like in, what, in where we learn together. And it was about educating, inspiring, and connecting women. And I had over 50 speakers, a lot of them mutual friends probably, sure. came from the uh, Fortune Most Powerful Women's Conference. They were the women said, if you do it, we'll be there, especially Geraldine Laybourne. Yeah, and these are really high profile. Women. High profile. And, and it's not like they have huge names. I mean, listen, I'm back in Jacksonville, Florida, but I knew who they were as people. And I knew their stories, how authentic, right? You're a storyteller. These people, and it's all about real people telling real stories, not the ones they have to say, but the ones they can say. And the love fest began in year one. And um, I think you were able to experience it with us. It's grown so much. Um, And they talk about real topics. They talk about fear, and they talk about confidence, and they talk about perfection. They talk about all these things that oftentimes can get in our path and really trip us up. Yes, 
really do. And then, you know, there's that added thing that says, oh, wow, that person up there is talking about that, that I can relate. We, everything has to be relatable. And we take on really tough topics. As the trust began to grow, we took on really hard topics. You know, early on, we took out violence against women. We, uh, we called it, what's wrong with this picture? It's incredible. And now people from 30 states come from all over the country. We're really intentional about inviting women. But our second year there, one of our panels was called Generation Wow. And I've always had a heart for young girls, I guess because I am a young girl. And I realize that we're all young girls. We all have a young girl in us. And it's funny, as the book, as the book came out, and I spoke, speak to more and more men about it, who have really embraced it, I'm like, you have to admit, there's a young girl in everyone. And it's fun when the guys say, you know what, you're right. And I can admit that. Anyway, so we took seven girls, we put them on the stage, very diverse. You know, we had a girl out of foster care, we had a girl from a very affluent neighborhood in California, we had two social workers, and we said to the 950, year two, we had 950 women, said, who are you? What's important to you? And how do we help you? I wanted to understand how do we help them? How did they view the world? And it was so impactful that I went to my team, the other two people on it at the time, (laughs) and said, we got to do Generation Wow. We got to create something for these girls. Yeah. So, so what is Generation Wow? What is so Generation Wow is a leadership mentorship program. It started as a one time a year event, a mini Gen W where we bring in speakers. But the rallying theme is it's all about the positive and the possible. I'm telling you, if you can have a day, and it's funny, my friend Christina Norman, who you know ran MTV and Oprah's Network, she always say to me, if you have one day, I love this, I have one day a year where I can just focus on me and feel like I can do anything when I leave, it is so worthwhile. Mm. I did that for the girls, and then Jerry Laybourne had this wonderful thing. Matter of fact, I did this in Washington with her. It was called the, the, the Mentor Walk, where she got professional women that walked with younger professional women. And that walking, talking, so we took that concept, and actually now it's in 44 countries, Vital Voices has your arms around it, so I did it in India with Jerry, with Vital Voices, um, for these girls. So at the end of this Positive and Possible session, they pair up with these women from our community, and they talk, and they connect, and the idea is, is connection is, I think, one of the most powerful tools. You don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. But if you know everyone, that's it. And then how do you make those authentic connections that feel real for women? Because women don't like networking because they feel it's inauthentic. Instead of battling that, I'm like, I don't want to battle that. Just because guys are good at it, they have a different DNA, right? There's a continuum of behavior. And, but if you can take those authentic connections. When I start, the, when I start these things with the girls, right? There's, we started with 237 girls. Now we'll have 600 this oh, year. Wow. And they're, are they from all over the country? No, this, this is in, in, right now, this is in, in Jacksonville. Jacksonville, in the Duval County Public School Systems. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's expanded. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. I'll say to them, every woman in this room, so there'll be 600 girls, and let's say there'll be 200 and something women. So it's a, now it's gotten so much bigger. And we'll say, you can call any woman in this room at any time and say, hey, I'm a wow girl, and I was there and you were there, and you know what? They'll take your call. That's power. That really is power influence. And it's hard to teach girls like that when they're 14 and 15 and 16, but if we can expose that when they're younger, you know, right? Absolutely. I mean, think of our friends. Some of us are still, you know, totally intimidated. Right. But if you grow up learning that skill in this environment of positivity and possibility, you know, I, our hope is that these young women grow up and are a little ahead of us in development, right? That's all we yeah. want, right? You think of your daughter, right? Is that how you measure success? 
In terms of uh, helping to evolve girls at a pace, yes. I think yes. And it's not just girls. It's all people because we. this is about building community. So we invite men in and in a very, like I said, intentional way because this is about building community. It's, it's about girls and women, but it's also about their place in the larger in the larger places that we live and work. And, um, and so I, I, I definitely do. It's changing culture, it's changing ex- um, norms, it's changing the way we see the world mm-hmm. and, a lot of, and how we see ourselves in that world. So yeah. it's really, really. So you have taken a lot of this incredible wisdom and also input from a number of high profile friends, actually a really diverse group of women, and created this amazing new book called Wowsdom. Talk about how that came about and how did you decide? I mean, it covers soup to nuts. I mean, it it really covers a lot of topics. Talk a little bit about how that came about and how you decided. Well, it's interesting. First of all, I mean, Wowsdom, I just wrote a little blog about this yesterday, is we asked the question, what happens when you combine the wow of our girls and the wisdom of women? And I'm always very been um, focused on intergenerational connection. And that's such an unsexy word. But I feel like all of us at our differing stages of life have something to offer. And I think when you're young, you come to the world and think, oh, you know, I just got here. And there's so much to share. Jerry Laybourne has been an amazing mentor to me, like this unconditional love and support. It has, it's kind of like the wind beneath my wings. Mm-hmm. We should be that for each other. And there's a lot of talk about how women don't support each other. Even It's funny, wherever I go, it's a topic of conversation. It's one of those things that people start whispering about. I think we got to get it out there more. But how do we support ourselves? So anyway, so we had Wowsdom. And, you know, every year I do a panel in our big Generation W about girls. And so one year I did one that had teenage girls and women 65 and older. And one woman was 95. She was the former provost of the university, uh, Jacksonville University. Amazing woman. Groundbreaker. So we put them in the green room to prepare. And there was a force field around them. They were so transfixed on each other. They were so excited by each other. So I said, oh my goodness, there is something really here. Then that's coupled with at our Generation Wow, we have a couple of content anchors, if you will, and one of them is we do this thing called Letters to My Younger Self. Uh, and women get on the stage and read these letters that are so emotional. You can hear the pin. I mean, there's, listen, think about this, 450 girls in a room, pin drop. And then the girl said, we want to write letters to our future selves. And, and I said, well, let's use that as our basis, these really emotional stories. And so that's how Wowsdom was born. People said, you have to write a book, you have to write a book. And I don't want to write a book about me. I said, if we can write a book that helps girls. Uh-huh. And they said, okay. And then Wowsdom was born. You've divided the book up into topics. And each topic is about a page with little nuggets of wisdom and advice interspersed. But you've, you've taken, had each of these women um, and, and girls write a page on a topic so you can breeze through the book very quickly. It really is written at a level that's both accessible for someone probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, all the way to my mom's infinity. love. My mom, yeah, it, and, and that's also the other thing. The book is in, like I have one of our authors, Dr. Jeffrey Ann, and she said she wrote this whole thing. I'm reading this with my six-year-old daughter, my 17-year-old niece, and my 80-year-old mom. And we're all getting something out of it, which yeah. is really, really nice. It's fantastic. It is great. I mean, that's right. So if, if you asked, it said why, the why of this book, three reasons why we wrote this book. First thing is when we wanted girls to know they're not alone. Don't we? We all feel that we are isolated in our own, it's like Robin Roberts would say, mess. But we're not, right? We don't have to be. 
Um, the second one is, as I said earlier, so girls didn't have to say, I wish I knew. I mean, we're all going to say that no matter what, but to do what degree? Right. And the third one is, and this is my favorite, um, you, would, you would understand this, is I've read the book 19 times, obviously for good reason, and putting it together and figuring out how it flows. Every time I put it down, my feeling is, I can do this. Because it's the collection of stories and the compounding of messages and the words of wisdom in it. I think there's like 50 to 60 words of wisdom outside the letters, mm-hmm. right? We have Gabby Reese, right? The star volleyball player telling us about nutrition and health. We have Melinda Wolf or even Elise Nelson here, the head of Viola Voice, talking about leadership. I can do this. Look at all these people that have done it. And you feel fired up, right? It is about the positive and the possible. So it's a daily dose of that. Is there one topic that you think would have made a significant difference for you, if you could distill it down to one, if you had this book when you were 12 or 13 years old? Interesting. I love so much of it, and there's, every day I need a little differentiation. Carla wrote the last letter. She's a geologist, hydrologist. She's one of the founders of Google Earth. Oh, wow. And she writes about the planet, and she writes about it in a way that I'm like, so fired up and I'm fired up not only for me but for other for the girls to be able to really read about planet earth in a wonderful way but then I read about assistant chief Lakeisha Burton who wrote about being abused as a young girl and how she's so resilient right this mess ongoing message of resilience of hearing these so it's not even an individual story it is the collection of how they build on each other mm-hmm that you can pull out so many things, you know what I mean? Um, we talk about being safe. How, do you, how, do you, how are you safe? We talk about the dangers of dating with somebody who would potentially harm you in ways that are so human. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to pick out any one because you know, as the days go by, the, our needs differ. Sure. You're the mother of twin boys. Beautiful, wonderful, amazing <laughs> Renaissance men who I adore. Who are basically grown, right? We're They're in college. college. They've been launched-ish, right? They've Ish. launched into college. Ish. In thinking about the work that you do on behalf of women, how have you applied that to the raising of your sons? Uh, well, first of all, you know, they have been totally and absolutely a part of everything that I've done. And it's funny, when the book came out, my son Jacob said to me, Mom, like, where am I? I want to be in this. And I get it. And we talked about marketing and focus, and he has one on his, on his table side at Cal Berkeley where he goes. And uh, he told me, he goes, Mom, you know, I had lunch with my professor, so sociology professor, and she won the, the professor of the year at Cal. And he goes, I told her about you and your book, Mom, so would you give me one so I can give it to her? <laughs> and so I think they really, and Jacob spoke at Gen W about being a young man who sees change in the world and how he, and how he sees gender differences. We talk about it all the time. We argue about it at times, too, because their experiences are interesting now in a time where young women are far more forward and liberated and are asking for what they want. That's what you want, right? You want them to be engaged and aware. And it's so fun. But like if you know, a woman, and they'll call me up, Mom, did you see this? I know you'll love that. But I know as when they say to me, I know you'll love that, Mom, that there's a piece of them that's prideful. Yeah. Because we like for much of this podcast to have tangible, practical advice, in addition to very inspirational advice, 
what's your advice for dealing with failure and setback? Ah. Something that can really knock us on our bottoms if we allow it to. Right. And that's a, that is a great question. Or, or more like knock us on our bottoms and we stay there if we allow it to. If it's we allow it. knock us on our bottoms. But the question is, how do you get back up and move forward? Right. So we, we're, we're, we're defined by our successes, but we're de- defined about on how we respond to challenges. It's so funny because... I never think about failure per se. I always say something didn't work, you know, in, in your mind, but it, it's about resilience. It, you, again, I'm gonna go back to being an athlete. There's nothing you do as an athlete that's perfect. Oh, you might get that perfect 10 on the beam every now and then, but think about how many times you had to not get a 10 or you fell off. So the idea is, and, or, or think about a baseball player, or I mean, I'm trying to think a lot of women don't play sports. Think about an article you've written that you've had to edit or wanted to edit over and over. You don't think every time you edit, it's a failure. Now, yes, there's some kind, sometimes big public things that don't work out, but heck, think about the, I always, what did I learn? What can I do better? It doesn't have to define me. What defines me is my ability to do the right thing. I'm always about reframing what the possibilities are so that you can move on safely psychologically like sometimes my son will call me about something and something didn't work out he's an elite athlete and i'll say okay here's the deal you got a couple hours wallow in it feel it that's okay but at this time you got to move on and he goes thanks mom i knew i should have called you So that is success. That is it. As a parent. <laughs> that is that is success. It hasn't always been like that. We'd be like, why are you telling me this? Why are you t- I don't I don't want to hear you now. I'm like, okay, I've learned. I've learned. So it gets better. It does get it mu- it always gets okay. better. But like for for our, for some of your listen listeners, here here's some of the other defining real facts underneath this whole movement of Generation Wow and girls and connecting with women and all these things. Is 95% of girls want to be role models themselves. Interesting, they, 74% of them want to please everyone. So you, th- you have this whole perfection thing. But in that process, only one in five girls believes she has the key to be, the qualities to be a good leader. So you see that disconnect. They want to be role models, but they don't, there's that confidence gap, right? That belief gap in how good they can be. And then the last one, though, which is the one I really love, is that youth are five times more likely to graduate if they have a meaningful relationship with an adult, generally outside their family, that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. So you have this desire to excel, you have a little bit of pressure to be a pleaser, so we gotta work on that. Not having the belief that you really can get there, but knowing that if you have a significant adult in your life, it's gonna make a tremendous impact. So when you put all of that together, it is those foundational research that supports and really um, supplies that kind of basis for the work that we're doing with Generation Wow, which has grown. You asked me, so we're working, we didn't start in our school system, they now come with us. Mm -hmm. The girls started clubs, really on their own. I didn't want to be the Girl Scouts per se. Um, Love the Girl Scouts, I was a Girl Scout. They started their first club. We looked at them and said, oh my gosh, so we're following the girls. It's their voices that are telling us. We now have clubs. We're just launching a dozen of them. Orlando School System came to us. They're launching 20. We have a Gen Wow coming up with them. Louisville, the Muhammad Ali Center, just came to us. We're launching with them in mid-October. 
And so it's happening. And these clubs, we have a year-round curriculum. It's built on wowsome and all of these things that you talked about in terms of confidence and resilience and leadership and connectivity and health and all at making good decisions, they are the basis of this curriculum that is very interactive. Mm -hmm. And so it is really starting to move in a very significant way. And it's really following the girls, which I love, right? Yeah, that's amazing. As you know, we ask each of our guests for a single piece of advice or a life hack. Maybe it's a mantra, something that you live by, something that you share with regularity. What's yours? Oh, there's probably two things I share. One of them comes from my mother. If you don't ask, you don't get. And it's amazing. I mean, I did a TED Talk on why not. And and it really came from this whole idea that I explored about asking and how we're so afraid to ask. So, But if you don't ask, you don't get. And as women, I think sometimes if you ask, there's this whole social thing about how we're perceived. Right. So that's that's one. And the, uh, the other one is really about having the courage of your convictions. So I guess if you're courageous, you won't be afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. But I think being courageous is about really tapping into that inner confidence that says, I can do this. I can do it well. Even if it doesn't work out, I will not. I will not faint. I can go on. Um, and so I, lo- I really do like to gravitate towards this inner courage that we think we should all have. Donna, it was amazing. <laughs> it's so nice to see you. I'm so thrilled about the book. It's oh, really terrific. Well, yes, well, we would love everyone. Oh, so our mantra for that, I do have a mantra for that. Oh, good. Every girl, everywhere. And so we have a thing called Share the Wow. We would love anybody who's listening to think about Share the Wow, which is companies, organizations, individuals, Getting these books, like my good friend Jimmy Lynn here, who shared the wow with all 17 of the Georgetown basketball playing athletes, yeah. women. Um, uh, companies are doing that with their employees, with girls' organizations and whatever, and we think that's a great way to be able to really help transform the life of girls. Yeah, that's terrific. Donna, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You can learn more about Donna, Generation W, and Generation Wow, and Wowsdom from our website. We'll include links in the show notes. You can follow us at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com, as well as on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please, please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback and your thoughts. Again, thanks for listening. 